the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Biden delivers a message on gun control. There are certain things that the federal government just cannot do. A U.S. admiral says that America needs to build the defenses of Guam now to deter China. As a, you don't want the first mover, the authoritarian regime, to have a capability for which we, you have no defense. Labor shortages at the Seattle Police Department cause investigations into assault cases to shrink. We've been across assigning cases uh, with our domestic violence unit. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Friday, June 3rd. I'm Jim Barto. President Joe Biden delivered a speech on guns Thursday, pressing American lawmakers to take action a day after the nation reeled from another mass shooting. In remarks from the White House, Biden recalled his visits to the memorials of recent mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas, and Buffalo, New York. 56 candles burned behind him to represent victims of gun violence in all U.S. states and territories. Biden says that American lawmakers must do something. This time we must actually do something. The issue we face is one of conscience and common sense. For so many of you at home, I want to be very clear. This is not about taking away anyone's guns. It's about vil- not about vilifying gun, o- gun owners. In fact, we believe we should be treating responsible gun owners as an example of how every gun owner should behave. I respect the culture and the tradition and the concerns of lawful gun owners. At the same time, the Second Amendment, like all other rights, is not absolute. It was, just, it was Justice Scalia who wrote, and I quote, like most rights, the right Second Amendment, by the, the rights granted by the Second Amendment are not unlimited. Not unlimited. And never has been. Biden also explained the steps that he believes that Congress should take. We need to ban assault weapons in high-capacity magazines. And if we can't ban assault weapons, then we should raise the age to purchase them from 18 to 21. Strengthen background checks. Enact safe storage law and red flag laws. Repeal the immunity that protects gun manufacturers from liability. Address the mental health crisis, deepening the trauma of gun violence and as a consequence of that violence. Biden calls for reinstatement of the assault weapons ban. These are rational, common-sense measures. Here's what it all means. It all means this. We should reinstate the assault weapons ban in high-capacity magazines that we passed in 1994 with bipartisan support in Congress and the support of law enforcement. Nine categories of semi-automatic weapons were included in that ban, like AK-47s and AR-15s. And in the 10 years it was law, mass shootings went down. But after Republicans let the law expire in 2004, and those weapons were allowed to be sold again, 
mass shootings tripled. Those are the facts. President Biden outlined the measures that House Democrats have on the table. Question now is, what will the Congress do? The House of Representatives already passed key measures we need. Expanding background checks to cover nearly all gun sales, including at gun shows and online sales. Getting rid of the loophole allows a gun sale to go through after three business days, even if the background check has not been completed. And the House is planning even more action next week. Safe storage requirements, the banning of high-capacity magazines, raising the age to buy an assault weapon to 21, federal red flag law, codifying my ban on ghost guns that don't have serial numbers and can't be traced, and tougher laws to prevent gun trafficking and straw purchases. This time, we have to take the time to do something. And this time, it's time for the Senate to do something. Biden went on to blame Senate Republicans for gun control measures not passing. But as we know, in order to do any, get anything done in the Senate, We need a minimum of 10 Republican senators. I support the bipartisan efforts that include small group of Democrats and Republican senators trying to find a way. But my God, the fact that the majority of the Senate Republicans don't want any of these proposals even to be debated or come up for a vote, I find unconscionable. We can't fail the American people again. On the Hill... The House Judiciary Committee held a markup today to advance a series of bills with the goal of getting the package to the floor for a full House vote next week. The package of gun control measures would, among other things, raise the age for buying semi-automatic rifles from 18 to 21, ban high-capacity magazines, and increase background check requirements. Democratic Representative from New York Mondaire Jones says he is willing to do whatever it takes to end gun violence. Enough of your thoughts and prayers. Enough. Enough. You will not stop us from advancing the Protecting Our Kids Act today. You will not stop us from passing it in the House next week, and you will not stop us there. If the filibuster obstructs us, we will abolish it. If the Supreme Court objects, we will expand it, and we will not rest until we have taken weapons of war out of circulation in our communities. Each and every day, we will do whatever it takes to end gun violence, whatever it takes. What we will do is not fail the children of this country the way that you have failed us, the generations of Columbine, Sandy Hook, Parkland, and Uvalde. I yield back, Madam Chair. On the Senate side, a deal may be farther away. But a bipartisan group of senators led by Republican John Cornyn and Democrat Chris Murphy spent the past week attempting to reach a deal on potential legislation that would address gun violence. On the table are state incentives to pass red flag laws, updates to school safety protocols, and changes to background checks. Town Hall editor Katie Pavlich joined Fox News to discuss her thoughts on President Biden's address on gun control. If we're going to talk about semi-automatic rifles, that's something we can talk about. But the facts are, according to the National Institute of Justice, which is a Department of Justice outlet, 77% of mass shootings are committed with handguns. So if we're going to talk about things that actually work, 
We need to talk about, you know, not just politicians saying that we need to do something for the sake of doing it, which is very dishonest. I think the facts really matter. The president has also talked about how you weren't allowed to own a cannon or certain types of firearms while when when the Second He's Amendment was ratified. That, yeah. that is also not true. And so when it comes to, you know, issues of actually getting things done, there are certain things that the federal government just cannot do. Pavlich points out that a new poll suggests most Americans are in favor of arming teachers. You know, when it comes to accusing Republicans of being pro-kid killer, it's a non-starter completely. When the president doesn't know the difference between a 9 millimeter handgun round and what the definition of an assault rifle is, that's also a problem. Also, there's a big difference between what the media has been saying, what people in Washington, D.C. are saying, and what the rest of the country thinks. A YouGov poll came out just this week showing that actually... Most people do think that teachers should be armed, that administrators should be armed. This is not a foreign concept. This is happening in places like Utah and Texas and Arizona. This has been done. No one's being forced to do it, but it is a concept that a lot of Americans have embraced as a solution at their local level in their school district. Pavlich goes on to say that it's a complicated issue that will require more than a one-size-fits-all approach. The left tends to throw a label on everything and act like there's a one-size-fits-all policy. I think the mental health aspect of it is important, but then we get into issues about veterans not seeking mental health care because they may not be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights. So it's a complicated issue that the president apparently is going out tonight to talk about because he wants to make his voice heard as right before he goes to the beach for the weekend, which says the urgency is not that bad. A gunman who killed his surgeon and three other people at a Tulsa medical office blamed the doctor for his continuing pain after a recent back operation. The patient called the clinic repeatedly, complaining of pain, and specifically targeted the doctor who performed the surgery, then killed himself as police arrived. Deputy Chief Eric Daglish of the Tulsa Police Department describes the events. The officers that did arrive uh, were hearing shots in the building, and that's what directed them to the second floor. We have uh, four civilians that are uh, dead. We have one shooter that is dead, and uh, right now we believe that is self-inflicted. Officers have not been interviewed, but we're certain that's a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Tulsa Police Chief Wendell Franklin says the gunman, Michael Lewis, bought one of the guns he used in the attack the day of the shootings. At 2 p.m. on June the 1st, Mr. Lewis purchased a semi-automatic rifle from a local gun store. Dr. Cliff Robertson, the president and CEO of St. Francis Health, cannot thank first responders enough. I I can't stand here and not thank the first responders in this city. I mean, look around us. The, the response has been incredible, and the, uh, I don't know that I, I've truly understood just how important our first responders can be and are every day. Looking to the ongoing investigation into the Uvalde tragedy, a local legislator said Thursday desperate 911 calls from inside the school where 21 people were killed last week went to city police and were not shared with the campus law enforcement chief who opted against an immediate confrontation. 
And now to Uvalde. We're also learning that the 911 calls made from inside the fourth grade classroom in Uvalde never got to the school police chief. That's according to a Texas state senator. And that could further complicate the investigation into the law enforcement response. 19 children and two of their teachers were killed in the attack a little more than a week ago. Uvalde's mayor also revealed a new piece of information to the public. And the Uvalde mayor also revealed some new details today, saying a negotiator tried to call the gunman. That goes against training. The training says officers are supposed to immediately confront active shooters. The ongoing war in Ukraine. President Volodymyr Zelensky said Thursday that Russia now controls about 20% of his country. The statement came at a time when Russia is making slow but steady gains in the eastern Donbass region. CNN's Melissa Bell describes the situation on the ground in Ukraine. These last few days, that appears to be bearing its fruit, not just Severodonetsk, but other cities were told by Ukrainian armed forces that are under severe attack, and particularly Bakhmut, that important city for uh, Ukrainian supply lines. Elsewhere, Ukraine is mounting a counteroffensive down in Kherson, uh, but it is a line now uh, very difficult, of course, uh, to work out what's going to happen next on 20% of the country, Wolf, uh, that part of Ukraine beyond our reach. We were hearing from President Zelensky earlier today saying some 200,000 children, he says, have been taken from Russia, from, to Russia, rather, from Ukraine. Difficult for us to say we have no access to that part of the country. Turning to tensions with China, Admiral Mark Montgomery says there's no question Guam would be an immediate target in the event of hostilities with China and calls for the U.S. to take steps to increase missile defenses of the island. Admiral James Stavridis joins the Hugh Hewitt Show to discuss the importance of building up Guam's defenses now. So Guam is a uh, U.S. territory that is physically located in the western Pacific. It's on what's called the second island chain. In other words, the second chain of islands away from the coast of China. It is a major U.S. military uh, base. Uh, we have a large airfield there named Anderson Airfield. That, you know, we used it during World War II. We used it during the Vietnam War. And we will undoubtedly have to use it if we get in the crisis or contingency with China. It also hosts a submarine facility, one of the only, uh, the only submarine base in the Western Pacific, and one of the few places where we could reload submarines in, in a wartime condition. And then finally, and, and not, not unimportantly, it's home to 170,000 U.S. citizens who expect to be defended in a conflict. Stavridis explains what the U.S. needs to confront Chinese aggression. We need two real strong capabilities to take on China. One is our, uh, our submarines and an undersea warfare job where we really do have a strong asymmetric advantage. The problem, of course, is submarine warfare is very slow. So that we will slowly erode the Chinese Navy through losses from our submarines over time in a conflict. The way we can rapidly deal with the Chinese Navy, which is, you know, the critical force for them is as they try to do a cross-strait invasion of, um, of Taiwan or an attack on the uh, Senkaku Islands in the East China Sea against Japan. The, the quick way of doing it is with long-range anti-ship cruise missiles launched from Air Force and Navy uh, aircraft. Stavridis goes on to say that the U.S. needs to focus on the missile defense of Guam now. Hypersonic defense is equally important because, particularly for the United States, who is the democracy, we're not the first mover. We're not the country, that the authoritarian nation that's going to strike first normally. As a, you don't want the first mover, the authoritarian regime, to have a capability 
but which we, you have no defense. That puts deterrence in jeopardy. Therefore, it's critical that we get hypersonic deterrence going. What we recommend is that the Missile Defense Agency, an agency within the Department of Defense that's had some great successes over the years, that they be focused on, on uh, tackling this hypersonic defense. They be given all the rapid acquisition authorities they need. They can get on this right away and help maintain deterrence in the Western Pacific. police shortage in Seattle, Washington. According to reporting involving a leaked memo, Seattle Police's Sexual Assault and Child Abuse Unit staff has been so depleted that it stopped assigning to detectives this year new cases with adult victims. Law enforcement agencies in Seattle and across the country have grappled with labor shortages during the pandemic and since the 2020 protests following the murder of George Floyd. A May 2nd internal memo between top brass within the department provided by Seattle Police states, we currently have six positions not being actively filled due to absences and personnel shortages. And the department says that is causing the sexual assault unit to triage more heavily than normal, with cases where the suspect is in custody and cases involving children and vulnerable adults taking priority. When it comes to the sexual assault cases detectives referred to the prosecuting attorney's office, that office provided this. The graph shows the number of referrals dropping after 2020. Police Chief Adrian Diaz says they're doing what they can in the face of the shortage of officers. I have another detective that will be deployed uh, later on this month of June. Uh, I've also uh, been, we've been across assigning cases Uh, with our domestic violence unit. So we have taken some of the sexual assault cases and given it to domestic violence detectives to investigate as well. The memo sent April 11th emerged amid a wave of political promises for policing in Seattle. Last fall, Seattle voters elected a new mayor who rejected calls to defund the police. Seattle police leaders are trying to tackle an ongoing staffing crisis by shoring up patrol, while some investigative units shrunk. Some experts now say that the department's lack of attention to its sexual assault unit may threaten the viability of cases, as delayed investigations could possibly hinder outcomes. Michael Avenatti has been sentenced to four years in prison for cheating a client out of hundreds of thousands of dollars in book proceeds at the height of his famed clash with then-President Donald Trump. More details from the Daybreak Insider's correspondent, Bernie Bennett. The California lawyer, currently incarcerated, learned his fate in a Manhattan federal court where Judge Jesse Furman said the sentence will mean that Avenatti will spend another two and a half years in prison on top of the two and a half years he's already served after another fraud conviction. The judge said Avenatti's crime against his client was made, quote, out of desperation when he found his law firm was struggling. He called Avenatti's behavior craven and egregious and blamed it on blind ambition. He said he believes the sentence will, quote, send a message to lawyers that if they go astray, they lose their profession and their liberty. Bernie Bennett reporting. The OPEC oil cartel and allied oil producing countries have agreed to boost production amid fears high energy prices are slowing the global economy. Daybreak Insider's Ben Thomas has the details on that story. The 23-member OPEC Plus alliance, which includes Russia, will raise production by 648,000 barrels per day in July and August. The group has been adding a steady 432,000 barrels per day each month, gradually restoring production cuts made during the depths of the pandemic recession. 
The move should offer some relief for a global economy suffering from soaring energy prices and the resulting inflation. Gasoline prices are at a record high in the U.S., with the AAA reporting an average pump price of $4.71 per gallon. I'm Ben Thomas. Ford will add 6,200 factory jobs in Michigan, Missouri, and Ohio as it prepares to build more electric vehicles and roll out two redesigned combustion engine models. The company says it will invest $3.7 billion in the three states between now and 2026. It also will convert about 3,000 temporary workers to full-time status with pay raises and benefits. Ford Blue President Kumar Gohatra says Ford is making a major investment for the future. We're going to create 6,200 new UAW jobs and invest $3.7 billion in Ford plants across the Midwest. Union Representative Jason Williams says the investment will benefit many. We're trying to secure the future for, you know, our kids, our families, families of the community. So hopefully this is, you know, the right step going forward. A new, innovative way to build houses has developed. Researchers in Japan have created a way to make cement out of table scraps. Daybreak Insider's John Scott has the details of this story. Researchers at the University of Tokyo have developed a technology that can turn table scraps into food cement for construction and other uses. They say it's the world's first process for making cement entirely from food waste, and the tensile strength of their product is nearly quadruple that of ordinary concrete. The researchers say an outer coating could fix one of the cement's most serious shortcomings, a weakness to water, and the likelihood that it would be eaten by rodents and other pests. Food waste, a big problem in Japan. The researchers say their material can be reused and be composted when it's no longer needed. John Scott reporting. And finally, Queen Elizabeth waved to cheering crowds massed outside Buckingham Palace on Thursday as Britain kicked off four days of pomp, parties, and parades. Millions of people across Britain and the world were expected to watch the festivities. The Queen is marking 70 years on the throne. Londoner Carol Cooper says despite arriving early for Jubilee celebrations, many places were blocked off because of the size of the crowd. Everywhere is very, very busy, very, very packed. This is the nearest we can get. Um, Yeah, a little bit disappointed, but um, even the police, by all accounts, did not expect this many people. Spectator Chris Webster says the atmosphere in central London for the kickoff of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee celebrations was great. The Platinum Jubilee is like going the telly said once in a lifetime. So, yeah, really good. Really enjoyed it. And great to see so many people having fun as well. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and Townhall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Jim Barto. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.